Welcome back, proud bookworms, to the podcast that celebrates everything your book-loving soul desires. I'm Frances Everly, author and all-around book lover, and this is The Bookworm Unleashed. Today, we're exploring the sequel to Lee Bardugo's Shadow and Bone with Siege and Storm. Siege and Storm opens with Mel and Alina living happily on an island far from Ravka and the Fold. They both work menial jobs while hiding in plain sight. It's almost as if this is the life they might have led once upon a time if Alina were not the chosen one, or her power had been discovered. Everyone fawns over the strong and charismatic Mal, while wondering while he's with the sickly-looking Alina, who hides beneath a cloak despite the warm summer heat. They're leading such ordinary lives following the darkling slaughter of the citizens of Novo Kurbersk. But also following that slaughter has turned Ravkins against one another, the ordinary, powerless, and versus the Grisha. Because the powerless, I'm sorry, I shouldn't call them powerless because they do have powers of their own. Um, the non-Grecians, I'll call them for this, they are fighting against the Grecians out of fear of their powers out of fear that they are being led by the Darkling, that they continue to follow the Darkling, and out of fear that they will do to them what the Darkling did to the citizens of Novo Kribersk. It's a hard place to be in, a rock and a stone, as they say. But there is never a good place to be when there is a fallout such as this, and... War is brewing, but Mal and Alina are blissful. They are completely oblivious to it. Their only concern is staying hidden so that the Darkling's followers don't find them, so that they aren't assassinated or forced to return to Ravka, so that they aren't captured by the Fjordans and tried as witches. There are so many reasons why they are hiding. Um, but I believe that it's also out of their love and desire to be with, to get, to be together because it's been proven and shown to them time and again that they are not a match, that they cannot be together because Alina has these powers and it is still believed that Mal is powerless. I still don't believe that, however, because... Well, you'll find out more. Anyway, um, they are hiding in on this island, and they are found by none other than the Darkling himself. He has t- managed to track them down to this island, but he's got a little surprise waiting for them. Because he is not weakened by any means after the fallout of their battle within the fold. He is not dead, for certain. It's almost like he is a shell of himself, in my opinion, um, because he is using parts of himself. He is using his powers to manifest the Volcra, the Volcra that we know from our the last episode, who are shadow creatures that 
lived within the fold. Now, until this point, they only lived within the fold. But now the Darkling's power has increased to the point that he can manifest these shadow creatures without the fold. He can blacken out the sun. He can manifest shadow demons. He can make them do whatever he wants. Yeah, this man is powerful, guys. I mean, wow. I don't know if Alina can beat him, and she doesn't even try. Her powers have also strengthened, and she can do things that only the Darkling could until that point. For instance, there's she's able to use her light to cut things, almost like a blade. So it kind of makes me wonder if the heat from her light also cauterizes wounds at the same point, but that's a topic of another discussion. General Kerrigan uses these creatures to force Mal and Alina to come with him on a ship that he has hired, a pirate ship known as the Hummingbird, led by a notorious pirate. (laughs) Now, I pictured Johnny Depp in this role, and it was fabulous. He was charismatic, he is deadly, and he's a cutthroat. But I was also very amused by him. He is Captain Sturmhond. Or is he? This pirate also has his own Grisha on his ship. Unknown, of course, to the Darkling, who uses his own Grishan followers to man the ship and keep Alina and Mal separate while on the ship. Now you might be asking, why is he even bothering keeping Mal alive if he's got no powers and he's not worth anything to the Darkling? Well, there's two reasons for this. One is by keeping Mal alive, he can use him to force Alina to do his bidding. He can torture Mal. Even the threat of torturing Mal is enough to make Alina do what he wants. The other reason, and the reason that I believe that Mal is no ordinary person, he that he is not as powerless as he seems, is for his tracking abilities. It seems that nobody else can track any creature the way that Mal does. Now, why does the Darkling want Mal to for his tracking abilities when he's out in the open sea? Well, he wants to find one of Morostova's amplifiers. This one is a known as the Sea Whip, or an Ice Dragon, I believe it is. How do you track something out in the open sea? I have no idea how somebody would do this, but it's a feat that Mal accomplishes. They take this pirate ship out into the open ocean, into the Arctic. They are around icebergs and glaciers of all sorts. And this is where they find the sea whip. This is also where the privateer Sturmhond and his followers rebel against the Darkling. 
They free Mal and Alina, and they escape onto a separate boat, with the Sea Whip in hand. They manage to escape from the Darkling, and his... His Volcra. They have another name for it, but I cannot pronounce it for the life of me, so I'm just going to keep the, calling them Volcra. I think it would be easier for you as a listener to also know them by the same name. Especially if you haven't read the book. They manage to escape far enough away that they stop and they kill the Sea Whip. They use it scales to create a fetter around Alina's wrists to give to give her powers a second amplifier. So now she's got this collar of antlers from the stag and that is embedded in her bone. And now she has the sea whip's scales attached to her wrists. No one has ever worn two amplifiers before. It's been forbidden for all Grecians to have more than one. So nobody knows what having two of Morostova's amplifiers will do to Alina. But it's too late now. There's nothing she can do about it. Now the Captain Sturmhorn and his crew manage to not only escape, but they enter the fold. Because, you guessed it, they are returning to Ravka. Why wouldn't they return to Ravka? I mean, it's the place where all this lovely adventure and war is going to occur. But Sturmhond is full of surprises. As I said, he has Grisha of his own on board his ship as part of his crew. He uses them to stir up the winds not to billow out his sails but to make his ship fly. They fly through the fold, and he attempts to use Alina's powers to battle the Volcra while they are there. There's only one problem with this. Alina was bitten by one of the Darkling's new Volcra creatures, and it's affecting her powers. It's connected her to the Darkling in a way that was quite unexpected. She starts to see him everywhere she goes. And as a result of that, while they're in the fold, she loses her grip on her powers. And she crashes the the hummingbird into a lake. Luckily, they're outside of the fold at this point when they finally crash. They managed to get out in time before they got stuck there and ravaged by Volcra. And at this point, it is also revealed that Sturmhond is no privateer after all. No, this man, he is cutting. He is sneaky and he is brilliant and charming and deadly. He is also a prince of Ravka, the second son to be exact. He wants his brother's throne and he wants to use Alina to get it. Now, how does he plan to use Alina to get it? Not by attacking his brother or encouraging civil war. No, he is going to use Alina 
through marriage. He is proposed to make her his queen. There's just the pesky problem of getting his older brother to abdicate the throne. That's his plan. His older brother is a wastrel, and he believes he will abdicate the throne once he realizes how much he actually has to do. And he can't spend every day, all day, at the tracks. Boo-hoo. What a life. I wish I could spend all day wasting away doing whatever I want. Wouldn't that be lovely? No worries in the world. (laughs) Anyway, Mal is not thrilled by this proposal, as you've guessed it. He is pissed. It's suggested by Sturmhond that he becomes the captain of Alina's guard, that they can remain lovers as long as it's in secret, that he doesn't care what Alina does with her body in private, as long as she is faithful to him in public. Alina obviously rejects his proposal, but somehow Mal still becomes the captain of her guard. Oh, and as they are on this trip back to the Grand Palace to meet with his father and his mother, the king and queen of Ravka, and to announce his return, they stop at every single village and town along the way. He parades Alina out He shows off her powers. He encourages the myth that has been created and encouraged by the king's once royal advisor, the Apparat, who has sanctified Alina. He is used, so Sturmhond is using this sanctification given to her by the royal advisor as Saint Alina to further his cause and ingratiate himself with the people. And he's doing all the perfect little gestures. A kiss here, a touch to her lower back there, all those small little intimate details that suggests a greater bond between the two just suggests mind. Not a bond that's there. Yet. Alina allows all of this because Sturmhond, also known as Nikolai, has promised her the Darkling's former place as the head of the Second Army. She doesn't know what she's going to walk into, and she knows it's going to be an uphill battle when she finally returns to the heart of Ravka. But she is there for it because she wants to see the Darkling defeated more than anyone else. He is her bane. He is her nemesis. And he is something more as well. Because not only is she connected to Mal, I believe she's connected to the Darkling through her powers. It's a very strange connection the two of them have. The Darkling almost seems obsessed with her. 
and she's obsessed with bringing him down. To the point that she is losing her grip on herself. She gets to the little palace and she reforms all of the Grisha. They are no longer divided and made to sit in their separate little groups, in their separate little cliques. She forces them to bond, to blend together. They all have to learn things like um, self-defense, for instance, because the fabricators were never taught that. They only used their powers to make things and invent things. So it was never believed that they would be on the front lines needing those skills, so they were never given them. I think it's admirable that Alina has decided that all Grisha should have the ability to defend themselves. That all Grisha should be welcomed by other Grisha and not separated by colors and by abilities. It's noble, but it's also not how things have been done for hundreds of years. And that's yet another uphill battle that she must face. It works out in her favor as they finally do start to work together. They all come up with a plan of defense of the little palace and of the Ravka. These mirrored dishes, I imagine satellite dishes, to reflect her her light powers off of so that they'll burn away the darkner, darkness and amplify her powers even more than they are already amplified by the sea whips scales and the stag's antlers. How much stronger do her powers need to get? And throughout all of this, she is battling with Her feelings for Mal. Mal is battling with his feelings for her. They are pushing each other away. But also trying to cling to each other. It's an odd dynamic that works. The illusion of their separation is tragic. Because Mal is seeing more and more how much her powers are separate from him. How he does not have the abilities of everybody around her. How she's changing. He hates it. He can't even kiss her without her flinching away from him. But he doesn't understand why she's flinching. He thinks it's something that he's done. He doesn't know. He doesn't know about her connection to the Darkling. He doesn't know about the wound in her shoulder. The wound that I believe has given her a psychic link between her and the Darkling. She is seeing the Darkling everywhere. Every time she goes to kiss Mal, he's there. When she closes her eyes, he's there. It's a divine psychological torture. It's perfect. She is distracted and thinking she is going crazy and trying 
desperately to hold on to her, herself. It's a thing of beauty that this conniving little darkling has created. And throughout all of this, the Grisha are watched warily by those without powers. They are not trusted. They, are, they keep to themselves. They continue on as if nothing has changed, except everything has changed. Their world has been turned upside down, and now it is a battle for survival for all Grisha. And also throughout all of this, the division between Mal and Alina, the fight for survival for the Grisha, there is a fight for survival for all of Ravka as well. There is also the desire to find Morozova's third and final amplifier, a firebird. We don't know what two amplifiers will do to a person. It seems to be changing Alina in ways that she does not like. Yet she still hungers for the third amplifier. She wants it to give her an extra boost against the Darkling, to bring him down once and for all, and to bring down the fold, to end all of this tyranny, all of this destruction, all of this death. It weighs on her, as it should. She's not at fault for it, but she is the only one with the power that can fight back against it. She does not have the hundreds of years of experience and learning about his powers that the Darkling does. She is desperate. She is forming a bond with the Prince of Ravka. His older brother has decided to challenge Nikolai, or rather, our pirate friend. (laughs) And try to actually be the heir to the throne. He attends all of their meetings. He even tries to form an an alliance with the neighboring country of Fjorda. (laughs) And his arrogance is what brings him to the ground. But I'll get to that later. With her growing bond with uh, Prince Nikolai, Mal and Alina are growing further and further apart. He is the captain of her guard, but he abandons his post. And one night after dreaming of Mal and the Darkling in her bed, not together, you pervs, but somehow, <laughs> somehow the two are one. She dreams that she is with Mal and then opens her eyes and finds that she is with the Darkling. But she's not really with the Darkling because he is not really there. It's all one big psychological F you. 
to Alina. But it drives her out of her rooms. It drives her out of the little palace. She starts wandering away. She has no guard because Mal has abandoned his post. And she finds herself down by the river when the sun is coming up and swarmed. Absolutely swarmed by pilgrims who have come to swear their allegiance to her. Not swear her allegiance. I'm sorry, that's wrong. They are obsessed with her. They pray to her. They want to destroy her because they all want a piece of her. They start pulling at her hair and clawing at her because everybody wants a piece of Saint Alina. She's almost causing a riot in the town. And that's where her other guards find her. They manage to get her back into the city, back into the little palace where she is safe. The riot is quelled and everything is back to normal. Or is it? There is this reoccurring theme in Alina's book of saints of the firebird flying between two arches in the mountains. And then she has an epiphany. See, the pilgrims, they called her, one of the names they called her was the daughter of two mills. We discover in this book that Alina was born in the mountains of the shoe in a small town that had no name. But nearby, there were ruins of two towers. Nobody knew what the ruins were of. They, all, they always called it the two mills. She remembers this from her very, very early childhood. She doesn't remember much else, but she remembers that. She also remembers that Mel is from the same area. Although, apparently, they didn't know each other until they came to the orphanage. And he came several years later. But I firmly believe there is more to this story between Mel and Alina and their childhood. I'm still telling you, it makes no sense that everybody's parents just died one day, disappeared. Something happened. I want to know what. <laughs> However, <laughs> I digress. I'm sorry about that. Um, back to the story. These ruins. Alina gets a picture of these ruins and she puts it over top of a picture of the arches. The arches with the phoenix, sorry, the firebird flying between them. The ruins and the scenery behind the ruins match. Let that sink in for a minute. They match. The firebird is from Alina's home. Mal's home. She wants to go there right away. 
The prince, Prince Nikolai, he wants to go right away as well, but he wants Alina to stay. She is protected within the little palace, whereas she would not be protected out in the wilderness. However, Mal makes the point that he is the only one with the ability to track down this firebird. Why is he the only one that has this ability? Because he is the only one who has managed to track down the other two amplifiers. So it stands to reason that he would be the one to find the third. So he offers to go, but before he can, they have to make more plans. Who's going to go with him? How are they going to bring the firebird back? Things like that. So he doesn't say, I'm going and march out like you would expect. Rather, he stays and he becomes the captain of the guard that he was expected to be. And he escorts Alina to young Prince Nikolai's birthday bash, thrown by the king and queen, and his grandstanding older brother and heir to the throne, Vasily. Vasily reminds me of Vaseline. He is quite greasy and gross. Um, sorry about that image, but that's what I feel like he is. Vasily is short for Vaseline in my mind. This is where Vasily announces that he has made this grand alliance with the Fjordans and how they wanted very little in return. Things like access to lumber routes. Things that, to an ordinary mind, would not seem all that important. However, Prince Nikolai, Captain Sturmhand, the man of many names, quickly jumps to the conclusion that by removing the forces that were guarding these routes, It has given the Darkling an open route straight to the palace, completely unopposed. He starts demanding to know when this alliance was signed. When was this treaty bargained and signed? How long do they have? (laughs) Turns out it was not long at all as the Darkling's shadow creatures, his Volcra, attack. It's a bloodbath. Shadow creatures everywhere, and thank God, Vasily, the Prince of Vaseline, is dead. That was the one death I cheered for. I'm sorry. The man didn't deserve it. He was a fool, but he should not have been a prince. There is no way anybody should trust a kingdom to that man. (laughs) Nikolai manages to get his family out. Mal manages to get Alina out. Her other guards have disappeared. Nikolai and Alina separate. Nikolai takes his parents and whoever he can gather to his new ship to escape, while Alina and Mal return to the little palace 
to her Grisha that are still there to try and use these dishes that the, they have created to amplify her powers to try and fight back against the Darkling. Only a few Grisha remain by the time she gets there. It's a full-out battle. There are shadow creatures everywhere. And it's a fight for them to get to the roof of the little palace just so that she can get to this one dish, the one remaining mirrored dish, because the other one has been destroyed. So her abilities now are half of what they would have been with the second dish. There are a handful of Grisha left, and they manage to burn through some of those fulcra, but it's not enough. It is nowhere near enough. And many, many more Grisha die. It's tragic. The loss here is unimaginable, and I can picture it in my head of all these twisted, writhing black creatures devouring and slaying and ripping apart all of these Grecians as they try futilely to fight against him, them. And then they hear the thunder. The thunder that indicates that the Darkling is coming. He is coming, and he is coming for all of them. He is going to destroy everyone in his path. Alina manages to clear a path to get the rest of the Grisha back inside the little palace. Back inside the dining rooms where there's another handful of Grishans left. They lock themselves inside. They fight off whatever Volkra are inside as well. Somehow they manage to get out of there. They get outside the little palace. They are running away. When her other guards return with an army at their backs. An army of soldiers who abandoned their posts with the Ravkin first army. With peasants. With the followers of none other than the royal advisor who abandoned his post, the Apparat. Because not only has he sanctified Alina to the people, he has built an army for her. It turns out this man is not her enemy, but her ally after all. They manage to fight off the Volcra. And they discover a secret path. Nobody knows who created this path, but it goes down far into the earth. But Alina does not make it in there before the Darkling appears. He is greatly changed. But that is where he announces that he has been visiting her. She has not been going crazy after all, as she had assumed. She had been seeing him everywhere. Every time she kissed Mal, every time she closed her eyes, he was there. 
He claims it's because she invited him. Because of her loneliness, her powers called out to his. Because like attracts like. Now, I had an image at this point when I was reading this passage of a yin and a yang. You know, a little bit of darkness in the light and a little bit of light in the darkness, but they balance each other. He offers Alina the only chance she has of saving her friends, her followers. Join him and he will let them go. How gracious. He does not say how he will leave them alone or if he'll leave them alone, just that he will let them live. And he reveals exactly what his creatures have done to Alina's friend and his follower, Jenya. Poor, poor Jenya has been completely disfigured and almost unrecognizable. It angers Alina. Alina hurts for her friend. But she agrees. Because it's the only thing that she can do to save her friends, to save everyone that she loves. Join him and she can save them all. Don't join him and he will destroy them all. She finally understands the extent of her powers. After all, as he said, like calls to like. Her powers and his belong together. And if they belong together, they can destroy each other. And that's exactly what Alina plans. Mal hates this idea. He fights her every step of the way. But she tells him it's the only way. And she does exactly that. She joins the Darkling. And then, as the Darkling kisses her, She uses her powers to dive down deep into his own. She creates her own shadow creatures between his powers and hers. They are, she is using her powers essentially to feed off of them, off of their powers, to get, almost to get rid of their powers, to kill them, to get rid of the very thing that sustains them, the thing that links them together. It's almost like they are devouring themselves from the inside out. And it's working. It is working. Alina can feel herself weakening. The Darkling can feel himself weakening. He is helpless. He cannot stop her. And then Mal steps in. He grabs her hand. He brings her back to reality and he tears her away from the Darkling. He grabs her and he takes her and they run. They run far. They run deep. So deep into the earth, in fact, that they find tunnels that crisscross under all of Ravka and culminate in a giant white temple. And of course, the apparatus there, he welcomes her with open arms, along with all of his followers, 
thousands of people under the earth. How strange. Who built these tunnels? Who built this palace? Nobody knows. Nobody knows how long they've been there. Or why or who or... So many questions. So many. Alina is weakened from the abuse of her powers. From trying to bring down the Darkling, she is so weak, she is so frail, that she does not recognize herself when she sees herself in the mirror for the very first time. Even her hair has changed color, for it is no longer that beautiful, dark, black color that it once was. Now it's completely white. Now give me one second and I will find the passage for you. But before I do... I wanted to let you know that this book ends with Alina once again being in hiding from the Darkling. The Darkling once again in power and hunting for her. He knows that she is underground and he has his creatures digging at every tile, every stone to try to get to her beneath the earth. Now she believes that she is weak in her powers because she is so far under earth. There is no sun there. There is no light for her to use. Now this quote that I wanted to read. The apparat wept, shouting his gratitude that the sun saint still lived, that she had once again been spared. In his wild black gaze, the girl saw a different truth. A dead martyr was less trouble than a living saint. Alina wished she had died. Because if she had died, she might have taken the Darkling with her. Without her abilities, she does not know who she is. She does not know how she will fight against him. Now she is this grotesque creature with antlers for a necklace, scales for bracelets, Hair as white as snow. And she does not even recognize herself. But. Despite the fact that she wished she hadn't survived. Alina is strong. Very strong. And in fact, by the end of the book, she is vowing to rise again. And rise again she shall. In Rise and Ruin. Our next book on The Bookworm Unleashed. Thank you for joining me, bookworms, and I look forward to sharing the next book in the Shadow and Bone series, Rage and Ruin, on the next episode of The Bookworm Unleashed. And after that, we will have a bit of a palate cleanse with a very steamy romance from indie author MJ Marino. So stay tuned for Rage and Ruin, but also for engaging Opal. Let's be-